You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Nicky, George Bremer here with you a very early Happy Thanksgiving. Have a great holiday. Enjoy some good food, some good football, especially considering the Colts will not be on TV, George, on Thanksgiving, that's for sure. And at least your Sunday, too, if you have a long long weekend, long holiday weekend with the family, your Sunday won't be ruined as well because the Colts are on Monday night. So there's some optimism for you here uh, heading into Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to having a free Sunday. That doesn't happen very often uh, this time of year for me. So I'm fired up about that. Um, but you know, Hey, Monday night, one of the most famous franchises in the history of this league coming in town. Right. So I expect to see a lot of terrible towels waving there in Lucas oil stadium, a lot of black and gold because I swear they could schedule a Steelers game in like Saudi Arabia and there would be 20,000 Steelers fans there. I don't, especially for this game, George, if, if you take the trip from Pittsburgh to Indy, God bless you. Cause we're talking about. <laughs> A Monday night game off a holiday weekend where you're looking at a four, six, and one Colts team hosting a three and seven Steelers team, the 10th team in the AFC, taking on the 15th team in the AFC. Nothing says, you know, big time, prime time matchup other than Colts Steelers here on Monday night. It's going to be a doozy. So, speaking of which, George, here, you're playing a, a bad team. You're playing a, a team this year that you should beat. And you look at the rest of the schedule. Let's just play the game. Why the hell not? Because right now, the AFC is doing nothing to put the Colts out of their misery. You have the Steelers right now on Monday night. You're taking on the Cowboys. They're, uh, you're in Dallas. They are 7-3. and three. The Vikings are 8-2. and two. Then you have the Chargers, 5-5. Five and five. Giants, 7-3. and three. Texans are 1-8-1. Are one, and one. So you're playing three teams right now at the last six with a winning record. Three teams that are, you know, either you should win or winnable games. I can't even argue right now the Giants are a winnable game just because I know their record is nice, but that's a team that kind of feels like, you know, they're smoking mirrors, if you will, a little bit, especially with who they played. It's not a very strong schedule. Is the In your mind, is there a playoff possibility? Is there any hope, gasp, one last gasp left of, uh, of making a playoff push here and getting that seven seed, which, again, right now the Colts are sitting 10th in the AFC? Not realistically. And it goes back to what we've been talking about, you know, at the top of the show, consistency. I mean, you'd have to put not just two good games together. You'd have to put three, four, five good games in in a row together. And I don't think that's going to happen from this team. I don't see any reason to to really buy into that. Um, You know, the schedule's there. If you did find a way to get consistent, if you did find a way to turn this around, 
I think it's it's doable. I mean, Dallas looks pretty frightening after what they did to Minnesota True. on Sunday. Um, but anybody else on that list, I, I don't know that you absolutely feel like going into that game, the Colts can't compete. I mean, most games in the NFL are one-score games. And I think the Colts have had eight of them in their 11 weeks. So you you assume odds are it's going to be close games most of these games. If, if you could be a little more consistent, uh, you know, take advantage of the opportunities when they're there, sure, you could get back in. So it's possible in a theoretical sense. I just don't see it, it based on what we've seen from this team. And it goes back to, you know, that first segment again, talking about Frank Reich, and, and you said it. It's not like he didn't deserve to be fired. We can quibble about the way things happen, the timing of it or whatever. The fact of the matter is he's an offensive-minded head coach, and this offense can't get it done. Not solely his fault. We've seen that. Oh, got a guest star coming in into the screen there a little bit. Uh, it's not, not solely his fault. We have seen that, you know, in, in the two weeks since he's been there. But the fact of the matter is this team is averaging 15.7 points per game. And that's even in a year where scoring is pretty much down across the NFL. The Colts are still one of the worst scoring teams. That's why I can't see them making a playoff push. I don't see that turning around and you're suddenly, I think 11 weeks, four times they've scored 20 points, twice more than 20. You're going to have to do that at least four times in the last six games if you want to make a playoff push. And I don't, nothing that I've seen tells me that's going to happen. I couldn't agree more. Like you said, they can't put two good games together. So now we're sitting here talking about a six game stretch where you're four, six and one realistically, I think bare minimum, you're talking about needing to go four and two. Uh, actually probably no. What am I talking about? Five, yeah, and five and one, five and one, five and one bare minimum in order to, to make a, a real push. You get to 10 wins and try to jump the likes of, out of the Patriots who may fall off, who do have the tiebreaker over you, the Bengals who are six and four, the Jets are six and four. Now you will play the Chargers, who are the team ahead of you right now, ninth. Uh, they're five and five, and you obviously play them in a few weeks. But you're 100 right. Like, what is the? Where's the belief? What reason? What piece of evidence can anyone point to right now and say, "Oh yeah, this team's going to turn around"? Sure, they're close, and in one score games, I believe it's off the time I had four, three, and one. So it's not like they are this awful team in one-score games that can't win the close one, they've done a pretty good job, frankly, in, in one-score games. The issue is just they have zero consistency. We said the word before in the first segment. You can't trust this team. You can't trust the team to play a good first half and a good second half together. So there's no reason to believe you're talking about they can rip off now, bare minimum, five wins in six games. And again, you're talking about a stretch where you're playing three teams over 500, including the Cowboys, the Vikings, and the Giants, which again, the Vikings came down to earth, but this is also a Vikings team that the week before they got throttled by the Cowboys, went into Buffalo and won the game. Now, the Minnesota's defense is definitely not frightening whatsoever, but, you know, that's a game where, again, you mentioned, can the Colts take advantage of a bad defense? Can the Colts take advantage uh, of a defense that has given up a lot of points? I don't think so, because they've played bad defense before and have struggled. You know, Tennessee, both times they played, Tennessee's defense is not very good. You know, the, the first match, I believe their, their run game was the weak point. The second matchup, their pass defense was like one of the worst in the NFL. Neither didn't matter. Neither time the Colts could take advantage of the, the Titans' weakness. Senior you're talking about a Texan team that's not very good. The Colts scored 20 points. So there's no, yeah, there's no hope. There's absolutely no hope. I'm sorry. It just, it's over. It's been over, but now it's really over. 17 of those points in the fourth quarter, too, against Houston. I mean, that's another that's good point. Right. It was a really rough, rough day uh, down there. And the season's kind of played out that way since and what we, the team we saw in week one is pretty much the team we've seen throughout the year. Uh, as far as it being its own worst enemy. 
you know, and, and again, when we say we don't trust this team, I want to be more specific. We don't trust this offense. This yes. defense deserves to go to the playoffs. If this was like an AAU style thing and they could hook on with another offense and move <laughs> on, this defense deserves to be a playoff team. This offense has just let them down time and time again. Uh, and I know that, you know, it, it, there's a lot of pride on that offense. I know that it's killing Matt Ryan that they're not putting more points on the board. I know it's killing Ryan Kelly and, and Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith. They've been around all, all four of them, not together, uh, but they've been around offenses that have been much better than this one. They know what it looks like. They know what they need to do. Uh, and, and that to me, you're 11 weeks into the, into the season and the only offensive game you can even look at and, and point to and say, yeah, that was pretty good was the Raiders. And we know the Raiders are a train wreck, yeah. you know? So one out of 11 is not a very good winning percentage. Uh, and that's, that's why moving forward, I'm hundred percent with you. I don't see this offense against that schedule putting up enough good performances for them to, to legitimately win five games. And like you mentioned, the defense will keep a minute. Like, I don't think they'll get like, I don't say like they could give the Cowboys the Vikings like good games. I think they could frankly, maybe even be the giants, but it's like mm -hmm. one of those things where do you trust the offense to outscore? Uh, you can't even with a good defensive performance. Again, Eagles scored 17 points, still can't win. It's just one of those things where you struggle to win, even when the defense is playing great. All right. So now that the playoffs, George are out of the picture, out of the question, let's focus then our attention to, uh, the head coach of Jeff Saturday. What is, you know, with him playing for the rest of the season here with the last six games, what do you think he has to do in order to kind of make a strong case and maybe be the front runner to win this job? Is it record wise? Is it an improvement in, let's say, the offensive line? Like, what are you kind of, I guess, basing your decision if you were Jim Mersey on whether to truly uh, consider and maybe make the favorite Jeff Saturday? Yeah, a couple things on this. One, I don't know. I'll be quite honest. Sometimes I think we in the business feel like we're afraid to say that. Uh, and I, I don't know uh, because this, the decision-making on this, this season has been so strange and bizarre at times that it's hard to really gather what they want to see. Uh, I think the offense being more consistent would help him a lot. You know, I think if they could get closer to a 20 point average, maybe over the last six games, um, maybe that would be the kind of thing. But the other part of this that I wonder, and it's a question that we really haven't dealt with. I got this on a different podcast uh, earlier this week, and, and I thought it was fascinating. I wanted to run it by you. Is the plan even ever been for Jeff Saturday to be the permanent coach when they brought him in? Did they do it with the idea of, hey, this is a guy who's beloved by the fan base? You kind of touched on it a little bit. We haven't really delved into it. This is a guy who's beloved by the fan base. It, no, no matter what happens, if he went 0-8 or 8-0, the fans are going to feel the same way about him. He's got a gig at ESPN he can go back to easily no matter what happens here. He can continue to be a consultant for this. His life before he took this job probably doesn't change at all by anything that happens during his stint on the job. That's a question that I really wonder. I want your thought on that. Like, how realistic is it that he's even being considered to be the number one guy? If I had to put a percentage on it, maybe that's the best way to answer this question. I would say 5%. I think Jim Irsay went, when, uh, went in this hire thinking, most likely, this is like you said, this is basically a PR stunt to where at least we'll get the fans off our back. And whether we lose eight games or win eight games, at least, you know, the, like you said, the fans will not be. Uh, there not be a lot of vitriol towards the team and towards the head coach and towards the owner, Jim Mercer. And I think when you hire Jeff Saturday in the position that he was in, I think there's – because Jim Mercer is a fan. He loves Jeff Saturday, and he's like kind of like, like – he's like an optimist. Right? He always – you know, he's always – he never talks negative about the Colts. He's always trying to 
you know, set the bar. You know, we're going to win two Super Bowls in the next decade. Like he's always kind of talking positively about this team, no matter where they are. I think there was a probably 5% chance because he really thought in his heart, probably deep down, no way, but you never know. Like, like you never know. Maybe Jeff Satter is the guy. You saw how fired up he was after the Raiders game and kind of taking a small victory lap, if you will, with all the criticism he got. I would say about 5 maybe 10% chance Jim Mercy realistically thought that Jeff Saturday could compete and maybe actually win the permanent job going forward. But like you mentioned, this there was when this may, uh, move was made two weeks ago, there's still nothing, even now two weeks after we see how he's coaching, there's nothing you can justify winning-wise that you could say, oh, yeah, this is the right hire, this is the right guy now taking over for Frank Reich because he's going to leave in more wins. There's nothing you can tangibly point to. It also makes it tougher to kind of evaluate just because this is such a – a messed up situation. You bring a guy with no experience halfway through the year who's not been in the building. We kind of talked about his first hire, George. Like, what can he realistically do? I think outside of the offensive line, like he's not going to do anything with the defense. And Gus Bradley's getting the credit there, rightfully so. And it's like, if, if anything, if, if let's say the offense the last six weeks does something we do not expect whatsoever, they're more consistent. They're averaging, I don't know, 28 points per game in the last six games, and they turn it around. Are we going to be giving Jeff Satter the credit? Is going to be more Parks, Frazier, Matt Ryan, you know, and maybe just the players themselves? Like, I just don't know what he can actually do to justify getting the job permanently. Because outside of the offensive line, I don't think there's anything you can point to say, "Oh, that's a Jeff Saturday difference," and that's what he brings to this team going forward that another coach couldn't do. No, I, I'm 100 percent behind you on that. I think that's what makes this whole situation so bizarre. And I, and I think I want to say up front, everybody loves Jeff Saturday. I think everybody does. Um, you know, the media loves him. The fans love him. The players love him. The owner obviously loves him. I think the rest of the coaching staff showed you by the way they responded that, that they've really, you know, right. they've gotten behind him as well too. Uh, and these are guys who are very loyal to Frank Reich and probably feel a lot like Nick Sirianni. If you could get them on a lie detector test, a, a lot of these assistants probably feel in the same way he does right now, but that Jeff Saturday has that leadership. That's real. He has that charisma about him. He pulls people into him. There's no doubt about that. I think that's the one thing you kind of could latch on to if you want to push him as as the the head coach, the permanent head coach, is the idea that he is a natural leader. Um, but, you know, I, I, is it X's and O's league? And I don't know. We're not going to have any idea what he's really able to accomplish in that area because of the way this setup went. All the things you just said, he doesn't have time to change the offense. He doesn't have time to make tweaks to the defense. He's done what he can do, and I think that's inspire this team, put a little confidence in this team, and empower these players like you were talking about to to kind of turn things around for themselves, you know. Um, and I think you know our producer Aaron took some time away from contemplating the Jets' quarterback position, <laughs> took some time away from from watching the World Cup. He made a really good point before the show. A lot of people, including us, thought this might be a disaster. It hasn't been. You know, how much credit you want to give Jeff Saturday for that? I don't know, but he deserves some of it. The fact that there, there haven't been crazy problems with, like, substitutions. There haven't been really obvious game management issues. There hasn't been a lack of effort by anybody on this team. The players haven't given up. That's pretty clear. The other coaches haven't given up. All those things were real possibilities when this move was made, and none of them have happened. So I'm saying, you know, I think what you can judge Jeff Saturday on, he's done a good job. but the really important element of this, the X's and O's, the, the weekend week out ability to, to scheme for an opponent. And, you know, I don't know how we could possibly judge him on that based on the situation he's in. 
And then if you think about it, right, like you're 100% right. Like so far, we both thought this is going to crash and burn. And, and we gave Jeff Saturday a lot of credit after the Raiders game because he looked like the more competent coach than, Jeff, than Josh McDaniels. So it's like you outcoach a guy who's been coaching before, who's been in the league now for a while as an assistant and a former head coach as well. So you're able to make him look silly in your first game. It's impressive. So you're right. Credit to Jeff Saturday for making this basically say, like, you know, this is not a dumpster fire. But with that said, then, if you're going to hire Jeff Saturday full-time, George, Think about how low that like there should be a riot because you're basically like you then would hire Jeff Saturday full time on exactly what you said. It wasn't a disaster. You know, he he, he was competent with timeout usage and, and personnels and, and the two minute uh, no huddle offense, at least in the first half against the Eagles, looked pretty solid. Like there's the players haven't given up like that's what you're basically selling the fan base. We are hiring a head coach that had the players play hard, at least through two games, because who knows? There's still a long way to go where this goes downhill. They, they play, you know, he wasn't a disaster in terms of challenges and timeouts and games, game manager situations. Like you're basically hiring someone that just kind of kept things status quo. You, you're not hiring someone that's taking this team to the next level. Like I said, with scheme, with personnel decisions, with an offense that maybe can better utilize the pieces they have on this roster. You're just hiring someone that basically kept the, 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 the ship afloat uh, or didn't allow it to totally sink from when he took over. Like that's really your basis. And how is any fan again, name aside, right? Cause Jeff Saturday, like you said, is beloved, but taking his just name out of it, you're really going to hire someone or even think about hiring someone who just came in and managed to keep everything status quo for a team. That's that's four, six and one. I don't see yeah. it again. I don't see how you can justify that if you're Jim Mercy. Cause you're right. That would be the only real basis he could hire him off of is the fact that he hasn't had this be a total disaster and hasn't had the players so far through the first two weeks give up. Yeah, and that's the only, someone. and it's the only thing we can really judge him on because of the situation he's in. That's why, that's why you know that that initial question on was it ever even really about trying to to install him as the permanent? We'll find out, I guess, at the end of the year because we'll we'll see what happens, you know, in January when when this search starts and and obviously when it concludes and 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 we'll see who the guy is and and we'll maybe have more insight into that. But it just it felt like on that day, and it still feels that way today that you put him in a situation where he can't win the job full-time because of the situation he inherited and, and the limitations that are there on him. Um, but also, and I know this is one of the things you wanted to talk about, you know, how does that affect the head coaching search out there in general when you see the issues that this team has? One thing I'm wondering, are you a little bit more looking towards the college ranks now for a couple reasons? One, those coaches might be a little bit more with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. I guess excited about taking a raise, a little bit True. less worried about some of the other issues that are that are possible with this franchise. But two, colleges have kind of worked around the offensive line. Those college offenses, there's just a few that are still kind of going with pro-style attacks. Not very many. Uh, the only one at the, near the top of the, the you know playoff situation right now that I can think of is Michigan. 
that's still kind of a power run team that still has a lot of pro concepts and they're just about everybody else is running the spread. They're running quick reads. Well, we've seen that work to some extent in Buffalo. We've seen it work in Baltimore. We've seen it. Chicago start to kind of bring in some of those kind of ideas. We've seen Kansas city do really, really well with some of those ideas, yeah. you know, now granted they're not run by college coaches, but Maybe that's a route. Maybe somebody, at least on the offensive staff, who's got a history with those kind of offenses, maybe that's the way forward in the future. I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there, and it makes me wonder. I think you're – I'm, first of all, down with the college ranks, like whether it's uh, – you know, I throw Ryan, name, uh, Ryan Day's name out there. I'm not sure if he's interested, to be honest. It's just pure speculation. But a guy like Jim Harbaugh, who obviously has roots here, and like you mentioned, he is, to his credit, you talk about taking an offensive line and taking the next level. He has revamped that Wolverines offensive line where a few years ago, they were getting their doors beaten by Ohio State every single year because they kind of try to match what Ohio State does. And Jim Harbaugh, his credit, realized we can't beat Ohio State at their own game, so we're going to go back to the power run game. And they have just – they bullied Ohio State last year. They're bullying every opponent so far they play this year. So you got to think he's a guy that, you know, if he was to get hired, he'd be able to come in and take what the, what, what the Colts have offensively and figure out how to either – positionally, you know, get them to play better or again, through the draft, through free agency, get guys in there that can kind of run to a scheme. So you have, I would say, especially in the college ranks, have a lot of faith in Jim Harbaugh. If he was to come to the Colts, that he could, you know, kind of turn things around and either go all in on a run heavy offense like the Colts are built to have, or again, kind of go, you know, more spread offense, like you said, and at least not make this offense line be the total weak point that they are so far this season. But also too, you wonder, and it's just like, the college ranks might be another easier way to kind of go, like you mentioned, because now that the head coach clears out the reason, it's going to be a lot of work. Like how many coaches want to undertake a rebuild? Like it's easier to sell a college coach on a rebuild and patience compared to a guy who's, you know, most likely going to get a second opportunity, we'll say, or even a first opportunity. Like we saw like, for example, Byron Leftwich, right? Buccaneers offense coordinator. That guy's going to be a hot name on the hot coaching market. Well, he was going to take the Jaguars job, a guy that obviously is beloved in Jacksonville, but he saw that they were not going to fire Trent Bulk. He saw some issues and said, you know what? I'm going to wait. Now we're starting to see more and more patience from coordinators and not just jumping at the first job they get because they realize most likely your first impression is going to be the lasting one. So you want to go to a situation that's right. And it is a little concerning, George, when, again, we're talking about all these issues for the Colts, mainly offensive line, but kind of, you know, an issue where they're kind of in between where they have some pricey veterans especially on the defensive side, that aren't, you know, are ready to win now, but this offense is not ready to win now, and how quick it can get the offense up to speed, the defense. Like, they, there's going to be a lot of big-time questions or moves need to be made to get the Colts kind of going in one direction or the other, that if you're uh, either a first-and-head coach or a guy looking for your second and most likely last opportunity, it makes any less attractive. It, it does. Yeah, well, I mean, because like you're talking about, if you're Byron Leftwich and you're brought in, you know it's a rebuilding situation – your question has to be, am I going to be around to see the fruit of that rebuild? Or right. am I going to be the guy that does all the work and somebody else swoops in and, and gets the glory? You know, nobody wants to do that. College coaches are used to it. They get jobs. That's that's what they do in college all the time. You take over a program that's in shambles and you build it up and then you get to go to a better better job. I mean, that that's the way the college game works. Uh, one thing about Harbaugh that I think is interesting because I know we're going to get into a lot of coaching speculation now because we have to. That's where we are now. Um, I, I I think he's one of the guys with a proven track record in the NFL. What he did yep. in San Francisco, no one's going to argue. Anyone would take that four-year stretch right now. Sign me up for that. I'm 100%. sure everybody would. Uh, but he did it 
with part of that time with Alex Smith at quarterback, not an elite guy, not special in any way. The rest of it was Colin Kaepernick, and he was kind of taking the league by surprise. Really, the first time you saw that Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields type of offense work in the NFL. Um, I think he's a guy that would not be concerned with who the quarterback is. Most of these guys are going to come in and they're going to want to know what your plan is for quarterback. I think Harbaugh is a guy who might look at this situation. This is theoretical and say, I'll take Jonathan Taylor. I'll fix that offensive line. You've got the defense. I can come and win right now. That's a great point, George, because again, the Colts right now are not going to be a top three pick. They're not going to be a top five pick. They might even be a top 10 pick. I saw a projection today, I believe it was on Twitter. I think the Colts had their projected to get the 14th or 13th, 14th pick somewhere in that range. So you're not most likely getting the quarterback you want unless you trade up big time like the 49ers did a few years ago. That's not the Chris Ballard, you know, way, let's say, if he's still the GM that's going to be making this decision come draft time. So you're right. Like, that's another thing where if you are a, a coach that's like, oh, you know what? I'll come in Indy if I'm able to pick my quarterback and, you know, kind of hitch my wagon to whatever young guy. At 14, at pick 14, most likely you're not going to get the the guy that's number one on your board. Let's say if it's Bryce Young, Will Levis, which we can talk about that on, on a whole other pod about it, you know, his pro viability. But at pick 14, you're most likely, you know, th- those guys are going to be scooped up early on. So it's a great point where quarterback, you may not either get the guy you want or, or the Colts. I mean, we may have to start talking about this, George. Maybe we'll do it when we come back here. Colts may not even draft a quarterback in, in the first round ne- next year, depending on where they are. So let's actually discuss that really quick because I think that also the 2021 quarterback class, I think it is also serving as kind of a re- reminder for the cultures. They kind of enter into the final third of the season looking obviously to fill that quarterback spot. We'll do it. And we'll talk about that when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. <laughs> 